Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of True, True Bobcast. Bobcast. On the phone here with me is Mickey. Mick, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good this evening. So uh, we're going to dive into True Detective in a moment, but uh, this weekend was the San Diego Comic Con, and a lot of things came out of it. A lot of things of substantial significance. Um, one would be the Batman vs Superman trailer that debuted. At the panel, and then uh, around, I guess, 2 p.m. on Saturday, they, they released it to the YouTube masses, and the internet gobbled it up. It was a different look at uh, the Cape Crusader, not Christian Bale's brooding, dark, I want you to follow me voice, but a, a different type of Bruce Wayne, uh, an older Bruce Wayne with gray templed hair on the side. And I mean, for me, the trailer was uh, electrifying. How'd you feel about it, Mick? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I liked the visuals. I really loved the costumes and the effects. Uh, I'm still kind of, you know, on the on the fence about the whole B versus S. Like, really though, and Lex Luthor's looking like a Foo Fighters uh, <laughs> band member. There, what's up with that? I think that might be a wig. But yeah, there is some concern for me as well, being the fact that I mean, I I, I think that Batman vs Superman was created in response to the negative criticisms of the Man of Steel. The Man of Steel, for those of you who haven't seen it, spoiler alert ends with uh, Superman and Zod destroying Metropolis in what is, I think, maybe a 20-minute finale sequence that is devastating, very uh, 9-11-esque. So I think that the writers were like, you know, we got we got to fix this mistake. Who can we bring in? And, of course, um, one of the things that I had read that Zack Snyder said that initially he wanted to have Man of Steel ending with a post-credit maybe sequence of a, a box of kryptonite being delivered to the Wayne Manor. Uh, you know, I'm excited that Batman's back, definitely. Uh, I love the imagery of him running into the storm cloud, or excuse me, the, the debris cloud. Um, I love the the fact that the Joker's popping up all over this, and we'll talk about him in a bit. But um, for me, that was, I was, I couldn't believe that they uh, had disclosed in the trailer, you know, that, you know, Bruce is still receiving messages from the Joker. He receives a, a letter that says, you let your whole family die, and that, you know, crayon, you know, kid signature style look that we've come so accustomed to with the Joker uh, and then they threw in Robin they threw in Robin's they costume threw in Robin? yeah so in the trailer for those of you who couldn't you know pause it 500,000 times like I did there's a part where Bruce Wayne is in what I would like to call the goth extraordinary uh, H&M type bat cave that they're using now which is pretty slick looking by the way but uh, so, yeah, so he looks modern. up and it's not Batman's costume that the Joker had spray paint in yellow. The joke's on you, Batman. It's Robin. And in the top right-hand corner, you can see the R. Um, you can also t- see the details. And I think there is a hint of red in there, which alludes to the hey, fact... Let me, you... yep. let me ask you a question here. Do you think that's referencing, like, death in the family, maybe? Yeah, like, yeah, that's exactly that what it's referencing. Dude? It's referencing Jason Todd. For those of you who didn't read the comics back in the day, in the 80s, before the Internet was invented, they did a... They did this really wild thing, and I remember reading it as a kid and just being completely spellbounded by it. As So Jason Todd was the second incarnation of Robin. Dick Grayson was the first. He became Nightwing. Jason Todd was a smart Alec talking kid who Batman initially found when 
um, Jason Todd was trying to steal the tires off the Batmobile. So um, his popularity, it never really rose, and people didn't like him. And the writers took note of it, and they put out a 1-800 advertisement at the back of a magazine saying, call this number if you want Robin to die, call this number if you want Robin to live. Everyone voted Robin should die, and then the Joker beats him, to not to death, but he beats him pretty bad with the crowbar and then blows him up in a warehouse. So that's what the film is alluding to. Yeah, that panel of the six Jokers relentlessly beating Robin mercifully is uh, etched in my mind as one of the greatest panels in Joker history. It's so violent and awesome. Yeah, it's wild. I remember getting as a kid, and I think that the colorist might have messed up, or maybe DC Comics couldn't be as explicit as they wanted because the blood wasn't painted red. It was like a same skin color as Robin, but he did take a beating. He took a beating, too, in front of uh, who his mother was. It was his mother, really. He, he had been searching for his long-lost mother, and she was in cahoots with the Joker. So, yeah, Batman vs. Superman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Batman vs. Superman, you know, the trailer, I was surprised that it revealed so much of, you know, the mythology of Batman, the Joker, Robin, etc. Um, Henry well, Cavill here's, here's doesn't... My, yeah, go here's ahead. my worry about that. I, I'm just concerned it's going to be, like, another three-hour movie... You know, we have to sit through it and just, like, deal with it and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I remember one of the last podcasts when we were talking about Batman and Superman. And uh, I was on the fence then, but you pulled me over it. And I think you're doing it again here. You straight jamoke. Well, I, I really feel as if DC Comics is going to be able to do a better job than Marvel. I, I am going to put this out there on the Bobcast. Uh, you know, the last couple of Marvel movies I've been completely bored with. Avengers Age of Ultron, to me, felt like a television movie with writing that was below par for what that budget would be. Ultron felt completely flat. It was a complete misuse of James Spader, who I think is a great actor. It it just didn't do nothing for me. I mean, I did like The Winter Soldier, don't get me wrong. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was fun for, I guess, you know, kids and stuff. But, you know, Marvel is putting out films, I think, for, you know, a wide range of audiences. But I think DC Comics is sticking to the gritty graphic novel you know, um, expectations that we have as fans. I mean, The Dark Knight Returns is definitely still my favorite book, The Killing Joke. So I think that, you know, DC is getting that tone. Um, so we shall yeah, see Yeah, isn't happens. that because they got Warner Brothers pulling the strings? Is that who's uh, doing these? Yeah, Warner Brothers long, long time ago had bought, they had um, bought the rights to um, DC Comics years ago. Even if you remember going into those Warner Brothers stores they had back in the day, they would have a section, you know, for Bugs Bunny, then right to the left of it would be Superman and Batman. So, yeah, Warner Brothers, they really know what they're doing. Warner Brothers has a, you know, a great selection of actors to pull from. Um, today, um, just a, a couple hours ago, there was some... Um, over the weekend, on Saturday, there was a Suicide Squad uh, panel, and there was some leaked footage that came out, but you really couldn't make anything out. And today, David Ayer, the director released the full-length trailer, and uh, I gotta tell you, I am, I'm on board, 100%. It's dark, it's gritty, it's everything I just said. It looks like it's gonna be better than Batman vs. Superman. He's done films like Training Day, he's done the film Fury. He he just seems like the right director for this gig. Uh, I love Amanda Walker, and then the reveal at the end of Jared Leto as our Joker, who kinda looks like you, Mickey, and everyone's saying it here on the Facebook and Twitter, Instagram. You know, I was blown away. I, I love his uh, portrayal of it. It's dark. And wh- what did you get out of it? Well, let me address all the people that think I might resemble this current juggler. Uh, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to hurt you really, really bad. 
Yeah, I love it. I, you know what I love today, too, is the fact that when you got to watch the trailer, you really couldn't see it in the leaked footage because I am guilty, like probably millions of other people who had watched it early. Um, Joker appears a couple times. Joker is in this one sequence. Some people now just on the on the Internet are putting out that that's the Joker in the animated Batman mask when they're in some sort of like robbery scene, and then you see the Joker walking quickly, following somebody through the hallway, and he's wearing like the dopest jacket. It's like purple, like oh, yeah. sequent leather. But um, yep. the big reveal, because I could see what you know everyone had saw at the the panel, was uh, the Joker. She he, he puts Harley Quinn on a table, and it appears as if you know that line that you just said, the ending sequence. He's talking to her, and he perhaps puts the electro shocks into her head, and maybe he brings her you know onto you know his side, if you will. Hey, I think he sounds a little bit like Ledger, but can you blame him? And he looks like uh, just straight, gorgeous, futuristic being. It's so great. I think it's probably one of the most uh, stylistic representations of the gender. Yeah, I, I really, a lot of people still, oh my God, on Twitter, how many times are you going to read, love the Joker, love Jared Leto, not sure about them tattoos though. Like, give me a break, all right? The tattoos, I think, when I, when I first saw the photo, I think you actually sent it to me. It was like a late one night on a Friday or something. I, that's the part I like the most because, like, you know, if the Joker was, you know, in jail or in, in max prison, you know, and he couldn't go nowhere, I could easily see him doing that to himself. I could easily see him perhaps even doing the tattoos himself, the tear or the J next to his eye. Uh, I love the teeth. I love the teeth. I think that's such a great idea. I mean, obviously Batman has knocked out all of his teeth, and the Joker has replaced him with the crudest, crudest uh, fillings you could get. But, um, yeah, I just, I loved it. I watched it so many times today. I was just like, this is going to be the best. And, you know, to address your concerns about it sounding like Ledger, I think it sounds like Ledger mixed with Mark Hamill, who played, uh, or excuse me, voiced the Joker on the animated series. Yeah, but, I mean, come on. I mean, uh, you can't play the Joker straight. You can't. But you know? this, this this portrayal, I think, uh, will, will silence people once they see Suicide Squad. It doesn't come out for another whole year. It comes out next August 2016. But um, what comes out first, Batman or so Suicide yeah, Batman vs Superman comes out in March, and then Suicide Squad comes out in August, and then the following year, I believe, is Wonder Woman. So I mean, yeah, it's hey, gonna me, be. Let exciting. me tell you, let me tell you something real quick. I'm the kind of guy that bases the movies he buys on Blu-ray by whether or not they're good in the movie theater. Rarely, if ever, do I buy a Blu-ray that I haven't seen in the movies, and uh, you know how the rest goes. But um. You know, I gotta say, there's a lot of stuff I want to see in the theaters coming up. Uh, Batman, Superman being one, uh, The Suicide Squad being others. A lot of these comic book movies. Uh, Deadpool, I hear, knocked them dead at Comic Con as well. Yeah, Deadpool. Deadpool um, trailer is not yet available online. There is some sort of lead copy that you can see. But this is a fan, you know, produced film. Somebody about a year ago leaked footage of Deadpool, which was a test reel that some special effects person did. It generated a large audience of interest, and the next thing you know, Ryan Reynolds' career is being saved somewhere up there in Toronto as he films Deadpool. I, I never really read Deadpool. I mean, I think he's a fascinating character to bring to the screen. I'm excited that it's going to be rated R as well. Yeah, I just want to say, your chat game is strong today, sir. Thank you, thank you. And the other thing, I guess, which I have really... I, I don't have anything to comment on because I, I just don't know how I feel about it, but Star Wars uh, was the number one ranked uh, experience uh, extravaganza there at the comic book San Diego convention. Uh, I am a Star Wars fan, but for me, though, those last three films really 
tarnished the memory that I had of watching, you know, Star Wars as a kid on HBO in the late 80s. But um, The Phantom Menace and all the other ones, I mean, they could be erased. Just, it was, I don't know. How do you feel about the new Star Wars? I'm excited, you know, it's going to be great. Uh, the um, You are a Star Wars fan, right? The retro feel. You are? Yeah, but you know, it's yeah. not like that. I'm not like that, you know. It's, it's just something I like. I mean, I like, uh, uh, I think I'm more of a Batman fan than I am. Star Wars. Yeah, definitely. So I was watching closely, you know. I was definitely watching closely. There's a lot of stuff in that Batman vs. Superman trailer still that I have questions about. The Batman uh, sand costume with the soldiers with the Superman emblem on them. Like, what is that? Like, that's going to be something wild. Yeah, the scope of it seems so big for one movie and, like, Wonder Woman popping in there. But, you know, she is stunning woman, rather. Well, the guy Uh, that did the rewrite on it, um, Chris Terrio, I believe his name is, he wrote Argo which Ben Affleck won, um, you know, uh, Best Picture for. He is a good screenplay writer, and that film in itself is very complicated, but I, I feel as if they can get it right. It's not going to be like a bloated summer film, and, you know, I hope that they don't make the same mistake that other films are making now of being like, you know, come watch this movie, but wait until you see what's going to happen next, and they want you to come back. Like, I, I'm not into that no more. Like, I, I feel as if it's a, like a tired thing. Like, Marvel... Like, how are they ever going to end Marvel? They're never going to end it because unless, like, I guess after the Infinity War, like, he just completely shifts the whole universe and they recast everybody because eventually everyone's going to be old. Well, let me uh, let me chime in here because, like, it's a great point you bring up. But it's going to turn into comic books, man. Like, they go on and on and on. The fans are still there. Yeah, but what I I'm mean, saying... I mean, generate as much money or whatever, but people always see that. Yeah, I, I get it. But what I'm saying is, like, Marvel has, like, a certain thread that's going from from the first film in Iron Man all the way up until the Avengers Age of Ultron and now the Civil War. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel as if, like, you know, a story can be told and there can be a little, you know, a couple Easter eggs here and there, but for somebody like myself who's read all the books and knows the story, you know, just give us, just entertain me, you know what I mean? Speaking <laughs> of entertainment, you know, it, it's, uh, it's time for the True Bobcast. So last night's episode was titled uh, "Down Will Come." I, you know, I, I, I watched it again today. Last night when I was watching it, I had mixed mixed feelings about it. I'm like, is, is something going to happen here? But the way I feel about it is, I love the character so much. I mean, I love Vince Vaughn's character. I love Colin Farrell's character. You know, I'm I'm tuned in all the way. Let's start off first with um, our man Frank. Like Frank's story again. You know, I love it. I love how, like, he lost all this money, uh, and now he's going back and trying to get his old businesses. Obviously, he had that squab with the the big-looking uh, dude with the, the teeth last week, and now he's taking over the club. What did you like uh, about Frank in this episode? I like how he uh, saw the stains under his coffee cup. Uh, that was <laughs> a little supernatural. Yeah, yeah, stains again, man. Stains he had up on the wall, uh, the water stains, and now but I guess that also, that, also, uh, that also highlights one of my main problems with this it's lack of like cerebralness it's not like cerebral is the first series it's just no no it's not know? well it's actually definitely suffering from the fact that uh-uh, Nick took his whole life to write the first season and only had like a year to write the second this was the first time that uh, our writer Nick Pizzolatto had shared writing credits with somebody uh, I'm trying to find his name right now but I, I can't I can't seem to find it on this page I have on my iPad but this is the first time in the whole True Detective canon that he shared it with somebody. And also, too, we are 
suffering from the fact that this year we have a different director um, for the remaining episodes, which, you know, Fukunaya, or whatever his name is from season one, he, he nailed it. I miss that guy, dude. I miss that tone. Yeah. I miss that darkness. Oh, yeah. And yeah. whereas True Detective, you know, it may be having its sophomore slump, it's still entertaining. It's still probably the best thing on television. Um, oh, yeah. Frank's struggle, I, I love. I love his struggle with his wife about how things are going to get dirty again. I like how um, he goes to that uh, coffee cake slash place, and the guy's like, uh, he's like, I'm surprised uh, your teeth don't fall out with all the sugar you put in your coffee. And he like chimes back in like, yeah, I, it's your coffee's not good. But then he like leans down and whispers in his ear, you know, I never even lost a fucking tooth. I even I never even had a cavity. I was just like, all right, Frank, Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Yeah, Vince Vaughn is totally killing it. Uh, like I said, he's been one of my go-to actors. I'm totally picking up his mannerisms in my day-to-day life. And it's good. It's good to have that, like, uh, <laughs> cockiness uh, back in my repertoire. I kind of missed it a little bit. Yeah, you know, Vince Vaughn, he really, he's just got this, like, swagger to him. The way he walks, even the way his hair looks, for Christ's sake, he's just got it. You know I mean? Frank, um, getting back his business, going through all of his old contacts, even getting rid of some of his uh, most recent contacts, whatever that dude's name with the red hair has been dropping the ball, tells him you're going to be the pit boss again. I love that. It's like... Yeah, he's like, I've been bossed in three years. Yeah, and he's like, well, why don't you get used to it, you know? Because uh, what does he say until you show me something? Like I love that dude. I love somebody takes charge and gets rid of people who are excess baggage, and that's what Frank does so well. Uh, his wife continues to you know push the baby thing. He has some great dialogue there where he's talking about like you know I, he doesn't want to adopt because he feels as if you know like when you have your own kid, it's your sins. And I was just like, oh man, this guy. He really. It's another thing too with True Detective. With the dialogue, the dialogue, if you think about a writer, uh, I write screenplays, and a lot of times the scripts, as you've mentioned to me before, it's like, you know, funneling myself through these characters and you pick up on the nuances. There's so many one-liners that Pizzolatto does that it just, it just comes through, and it's like this, like, uh, it's almost like a mantra in a way about looking at the world. Yeah, his writing's on point. Uh, the dialogue is great. It's just the show as a whole is definitely suffering from the lack of the uh, 20-year narrative that was portrayed in the first. And I, I hate comparing them because it's not really a comparison, but you got to. I, I just recently ran through a great portion of the first season the other day. I'm on a cleanse. I got I need stuff to do. I watched it. I loved it. It's still so great. And yeah, I mean, we're right. Carrie Fukunawa <laughs> is uh, awesome. He is the best. He, he was like a lot of that first season. His next uh, film, Carrie's next film, is going to be a Netflix exclusive. I think it's called All the Beasts Within, and it stars the guy that uh, is in that show, Luther. And uh, I think it comes out sometime in February. But yeah, that guy, man, he really made True Detective Season 1 something memorable. And True True Detective Season 2, where it is suffering just a bit, it still has great moments. Um, The other, I mean, like this, this whole subplot with Woodrow, with Paul, you know, he wakes up in a, a bedroom. And, like, you know, I, I'm thinking he's going to walk out of the bedroom. He's going to have Johnny Joni 2, the sequel, with him. But, uh, no, he's back with his uh, Black Mountain um, co-soldier slash, you know, lover. And, God, like, when he's in the taxi cab and he's like, he's like, no, no. And then he pulls over and he just has, a, a, like, emotional breakdown. I was just like, Jesus, God, dude. Like, what's up with this guy, you know? Just embrace yeah, the Yeah, that guy's definitely got to grow a pair. 
Like, are you bi? Like, just be comfortable. Be who you are. Be bi. Like, what is it that he's so ashamed of, you know? Like, obviously, like, he has some sort of drinking problem, you know, communication problems. Uh, oh, hey, speaking of problems, how about when uh, Belcoro finally picks him up and he's like, got some cures in the uh, glove box there. Oh, yeah, that was great. That was great. And, you know, the thing is, I think that uh, Taylor Kitsch, whatever his name is, I think that um, he's doing a great job with this character because when he starts crying to Belcoro, I really felt like, you know, okay, like he's putting his best, you know, forward here with this guy. This guy's really suffering. He doesn't even know who he is. And uh, Belcoro tries to, you know, you know, tell him to remove the dust from his eyes and just continue on. And I guess it was another, you know, theme, uh, the father-son thing. I wonder if our writer, Nick had a problem with his father growing up because it seems to me in this you know season oh, yeah. there's, there's a lot of uh, issues with the dynamic of the father-son uh, father-daughter you know aspect ratios yeah I don't think he talks to his father after he uh, moved out of Louisiana go to Texas and become a bartender that's what he said yeah it's all it's, well, it's, it's on his Wikipedia there shout out it's um yeah, it's his his, uh, his life is dark, you know what I mean? Nick Pazzolato, mm-hmm. his life seems dark, and, uh, you know, he's in a point, he's at a place where, you know, he's uh, expressing himself, and like he said, that first episode, that first season, he put everything he had into it, and, uh, you know, he's still got some darkness, but it's like kind of getting muddled with cliches, the second go-run, second go-round. Yeah, there really wasn't no, uh, there wasn't too many aspects of the supernatural within this episode. Um, Velcoro continues even on the last True Bobcast we were talking about how it's the, the rise of Velcoro uh, that is yeah. prevalent on the screen as you saw last night on True Detective um, he's trying to change his life around uh, even though he's got the cures in the glove compartment he is staying sober uh, Frank tells him later in the episode that he likes seeing him like this and wants to bring him on tell him, telling him he should leave this cop stuff behind but uh, Velcoro is really stepping up you know like he, he tried to take care of Bezridis and tell her you know this this shit with the mayor. It's not going to get you any. It's not going to get you anywhere. You got to back off. You know I appreciate. What does he say? Like I respect the sack on this one or something. <laughs> Which is I forget that chestnut. But I do remember when he told uh, Woodruff to look out that window. Look at me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's got that. He's got that. And he, he slumped into the sh- the shadows and the darkness in the beginning when he was talking to the kid. Oh yeah, He's that was guy. good. I like his style. Yeah, when he gave the kid the, and he's like, but it's not you, it's not you, it's grandpa's. He's like, it's grandpa, it's me, it's you. And, you know, it was a great scene. I, I thought that, you know, it had every aspect of um, that whole, you know, the father-son dynamic that we we're talking about. And, you know, I like that he's he's trying to help Bezridis. They're all over the place. They're going up north. They're looking at the stakes. You know, Velcro's like, maybe that's where they bury the bodies. I think you might even said that here on the True Bobcast a while ago. Never mind. I think you did say that. Maybe, right? I, I'm not entirely too sure, but... Um, but what bodies? I don't know. Maybe, who knows? You know, I mean, there's so many different aspects that we could look at it. Does it tie into season one? Is this assault? Like, what, what's the deal? Like, there's so many things that we don't know yet. And um, one of the things that's brought to life here on the Chomcast is that uh, Paul does have some, I guess, good detective work. He finds some of... I guess they took, I don't know how they did this, though, but I guess they had pictures of Casper's uh, possessions, and he goes to a pawn shop. And when he goes to the pawn shop, they're able to identify a woman who had brought in Casper's watch to pawn off, 
and from this woman they identify this dude who later in the episode plays into it but um, before we get to the finale which was balls to the wall let's talk about Bez Reedy's our other character she's uh, on administrative leave but she's not off the, the special uh, assignment but she's getting kicked out uh, I found it funny that uh, her superior, as he's about to tell her that she's getting the suspension, refers to her as honey. But she's getting um, kicked off because of that affair with that dude with the bad mustache. Yeah, internal affairs is all over her affair. Uh, you can't write this stuff, ladies and gentlemen. You really can't. You really can't. So, I mean, yeah, she's off the case. Uh, I love the scene where she goes to see her father with Velcro, and the scene ends with... Uh, whoever looks like uh, I forget his name with the gray hair and the beard but he, he looks at Velcor and he's like I'm sorry but your aurora is, is just taking over the whole room it's black and green and Velcor asks her he's like what do you think that means and she's like I don't know you're a mood ring I had a mood ring when I was a kid so it ran true here on the true man you are flying like bullets in the finale of episode 4 Exactly, dude. So, yeah, uh, the other thing, too, that was crazy for me is uh, when Paul finally breaks down, meets his uh, girlfriend at the diner, and, you know, he's having all these issues with himself, you know, existentialism, trying to find out who he is as a man, a bisexual man, a gay man, a straight man, whatever, a detective, a, you know, a highway patrol man, and she breaks the news that they're like pregnant, the and he just he just basically just does a 360, and he's like, I love you, let's get married. And I was just like, holy I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, this, this guy's, uh, he's not too sure of what to, to do in life. He really he's got isn't. Some issues, but, but, you know, uh, you know, luckily they all have the old, what do they call it, the, um, uh, the, the, um, star armor? Hello? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they all make it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's like he's, uh, just out of his mind. Sorry, I just fell into a little blip there. I kind of lost my mind a bit. That's I all right. I don't know what I was talking about. I feel as if I might have lost my mind. But anyway, you know, <laughs> oh, it, it has so many, you know, uh, all this all this plots building up and there's all this characterization. And I hope it goes somewhere and I hope it dives into our main conflict, which I guess at the end of this episode is resolved with the fact that they identify the man who they believe was in Casper's house who had taken the items and pawned it, um, a drug dealer from Mexico. Frank wants blood right off the bat, but he doesn't get to him in time. Bezridis um, compiles a task, excuse me, a task force to go into what I guess would be as in Vinci. It looked like it was, yeah, it was right outside. Uh, I guess like in LA, I, I recognize the spot. There's a couple of landmarks that I recognize as well, like um, the IHOP oh, yeah. on Sunset think, Boulevard. But um, I think I was in that uh, yellow pawn shop trying to sell my PV amp, which I think is in the background. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> but yeah, they they come up on the, the they come up on the on the house and and you know i don't know how anybody's not looking at the windows but boom like right off the bat ak-47 assault rifle takes out a couple cops and we go into i guess a 15 minute action sequence that was i guess the bread and butter yeah artfully placed at the same uh time and episode of uh season one and uh yeah. it was a great i had to rewind it i watched that twice it was just so so fulfilling how about is that casino the one me, you, and uh, our friend Ben went to uh, out in L.A. that one night? 
No, I think that was just a made-up place. I know what you're talking about. It's not the Commerce Casino. It kind of looks like the Commerce uh-huh. Casino, but it, I think it's just like a storefront that they made to look like Frank's place. But, you know, Frank hears it, he comes out, and I wonder, like, why did he tell her to go back inside? Is he expecting, like, a war to take place? But, yeah, the worst, um, the, the part for me that, even in movies, man, like, dude, the worst aim in the world, for God's sake. Shoot straight, uh-huh. man. Shoot straight. You know what I mean? People are firing off. Yeah. Next thing you know, the meth lab blows up. You know, and, like, people are like, you know, is it meth? Like, whatever. And then the best part for me was when uh, True Detective's Harvey Bullock, whoever that fat guy is, he gets popped in the head. Yeah, like a pimple. He just gets taken out. Uh, and then, you know, they make their way into the house, but the guys are running out the back door, and we got Bez Reedy's in her uh, gray khakis running down the alley like, you know, the Lone Ranger firing off shots, reloading her weapon. Yeah, she's she's all over the place. She doesn't get shot once. She's got the best reflexes I've ever seen. She's like a cat running through that alley. Um, you know, everyone's shooting at her, and then, you know, Paul and Belcuro meet up, and that action sequence, man, it felt like straight out of Grand Theft Auto. Yes, whole time I'll figure that you know what I mean? When when the um, the getaway car crashes into the bus, and then they're just like cornered, yep. and like the, all the civilians get like mauled over, and like I'm thinking like you know look at all this collateral damage is happening here. There's gonna have to be answers, you know like. Whoa 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 whoa! I like the poetry in the uh, in the protesters that you just referred to as civilians. They were protesting for more bosses, which the escape vehicle crashed into. I like that. Poetry. Oh yeah yeah. Well, getting, they, they, they were pissed because the metro rail there has no purpose or something. Yeah, but I was just like, oh, dude. Dude, everyone got shot right there, man. And, uh, you know, these guys got unlimited ammo, for God's sake. They're just blowing everybody up. Uh, You know, once again, Paul and Velcoro, you know, great detectives, terrible aim. Um, They can't seem to pop one off of this guy. And then whoever that bald dude was who might have had some answers to the mystery surrounding Casper, you know, takes somebody off the bus, holds him hostage, and I guess he got fed up and blew his head off and then... Pop, pop, pop. He's done on the ground. And then we're left with Bezridis. She's emotional. And then it felt, kind of fell out of character for me. But uh, Velcoro looked like he was ready to have a nervous breakdown. I'm like, what, what's going on here? That's what the, the director, if we had our man back from uh, season one, Fukunaya, we wouldn't have seen that. I don't think Velcoro would have cried right there, man. It felt, I don't know, it felt like kind of like on the nose or something. Like, yeah, I get it. They're emotional, but... I don't know. I was still blown away by it, though. It felt very much like Grand Theft Auto. It felt like The Wire. And it definitely wanted me, you know, it wanted me, I felt like I wanted to see what happens next. But um, I do agree with you that, you know, we need, he needs to do a better job as far as, uh, you know, up in the stakes. But we are at the midpoint. There's only four more episodes left. Predictions from you, Mickey. Moving forward, I don't know what to expect. Everything's kind of off the table at this point. You know, you got a lot of people interested in the whole entire case statewide. Frank is coming out to be the true, true, true detective of it all. He still wants answers. Everybody else is going to get satisfied and then uh, going to move on. But I, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting for something to shake it up instead of making it seem like just a regular top procedural. Yeah, like we were talking about the supernatural elements got to come back in episode five. Um, I was thinking about season one and how like season one had all this like mythos surrounding it, but really it all came down to just one um, sociopath who lived out in the Everglades who was just picking people off left and right and had this like cult underground following. 
And, you know, I, I think that, you know, this this story has to have an ending. We have to have some sort of closure here, like we did with season one. Oh, yeah. It is an anthology series, but uh, for me, you know, I am still entertained. Uh, this episode, I, I felt, was one of the more weaker ones of the, uh, the past three. But um, there is room for improvement. And, uh, you know, we yeah, will I was continue. Yeah, I big, big, big episode last night, but uh, I got to say, it didn't really quench my thirst. I can tell you one thing before we go here on the Trumpcast. Uh, we're going to come at you on August 7th. We were scheduled originally to play uh, Whole Foods up on the rooftop, but some scheduling things happen. We're moving the show Pocket Dial and Montage to the old mansion house in Conshohocken. For those of you listening who remember 15 years ago, the Downton Harvest got their start there. It's a, a small bar right by T's Golf Course. So come out uh, 9 p.m. free admission. Pocket Dial set, followed by Montage. It's going to be a fantastic time. Anything else you want to add there, Joker? <laughs> yeah, come out to this Mansion House show. It's going to put on a huge vaudevillian extravaganza for you to bring it back. Uh, we're going to have a lot of costume changes, playing a lot of our old stuff, a lot of new stuff. and just really rocking out. You know, We're not bound by the corporate structure that is Whole Foods, God bless them, but it's off the cuff, it's off the rail. It's going to get a little loose. Gonna get a little wild. Gonna launch the launch. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Mick, thanks for calling in here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of True, True, True. True. Oh, yes.